Shut up and sit down. Hello, strangers, and welcome to episode 89 of Strangers in a Cinema. I am one of your co-hosts, Paul Anderson, here with co-host Pete Wall and producer Jack Mills. Gentlemen, as ever, how are you? Um, well, as ever, from my vantage point, do you want me to tell the truth or do you want me to do a sort of like smashy and nicey radio-y type thing where I go like, I'm great, buddy. How are you doing? We're all doing I'm really well. that. <laughs> Okay, I think I okay. enjoyed the, the latter, so we'll go with that. I we'll go with that. Everything thing. is golden. Uh, yeah, happy to be back anyway. That's the thing to focus on here. Jack, how about you? How are you doing? Yeah, I'm doing really well, actually. See, you're uh, not, though, are you? This is the no. artifice that we deliver, guys. We've got to be real. Jack, you've been in Benidorm at the weekend doing goodness knows what. I'm imagining you're feeling like you wanted to sort of curl up and die for a couple of weeks at this moment in time. Is that accurate at all? That would be accurate to the point of 100%. I feel like death. Uh, however... Jack. Jack, back. who the fuck trusted you in Benidorm? I don't, I don't understand oh, why this sure. was a thing that was allowed to happen. No, but it, <laughs> but it did happen, and it's probably the most horrendous place I've ever been in the world. So <laughs> go there, Jack. It's fun. Jack, uh, did you not tell me a story just before we came on where you said one of the uh, drinking games that was going on in Benidorm was drink when you see anybody with a Union Jack tattoo or Union Jack clothing? Is it something like that that happened? That was right. <laughs> and, and I mean, in Benidorm, I've never been there, but I imagine. And that is just a road to I don't know the the emergency room or something like that. So pretty much, and I I do apologise um, for anyone that does enjoy going to Benidorm. However, <laughs> not for me, not the one. Yeah, well, you're, you're like a better man than me for even being able to turn up to do this thing today, to be fair. So that's to be commended for sure. And we're going to like pile into this thing like a line of shots on the bar in Benidorm because we've got like all the normal sections of the show that, you know, by this point, um, if you're a new listener, what we do usually is we go into the foyer, which is a section of the show where we have a conversation about the world of film and we kind of shoot the breeze on something that we've been thinking about. After that, we get to our section known as Popcorn Movies, where uh, Paul and I, and sometimes Jack as well, throw out movie reviews in sort of short form that we've seen in the last seven days. Then we get on to coming attractions. We preview something that's coming up soon. We get into our feature section next, where we'll talk about two films this week. Paul, what have we got on the slate for this week's features? So the feature reviews this week are I Feel Pretty, the latest Amy Schumer, I suppose, comedy vehicle would be a good way to describe it, and the latest work from writer Diablo Cody and director Jason Reitman starring Charlie's The Ron, which is Tully. Uh, that's our feature reviews this week. But before we get there, shall we head into the foyer, gentlemen? I think we should. Yeah, man. So what, what have you, ear to the ground, what's been going on in the world of film that you care about of late, Paul? This is incredibly exciting. I uh, Genuinely, there is going to be a new Bill and Ted movie, I believe called Bill and Ted Face the Music. Keanu Reeves and Alan and Alex were Alan Winter. I've <laughs> just made him up. Just some random bloke <laughs> called Alan Winter's turned up in the film to replace Alex Winter, who is in fact in the film. Uh, so the original cast are back. The original writing team's back. We've got Dean Parasot on directorial duty, who I'm sure I've seen his films. I was looking him up earlier. But regardless, the original writers are back. I've always had a, a bit of a soft spot for Keanu Reeves anyway. I think he's he's had a he's had a terrible, terrible life, but then still comes out with some blinding movies, despite not being a particularly good actor. But he made John Wick, and everyone knows I love those I, films. I mean, and I mean, Bill and Ted are back. 
There's definitely been some good parts of his life, I would imagine. International movie star Keanu Reeves. As much as he, as much as he, yeah, uh, like well documented, has had a a lot of troubles to sort of uh, deal with over over the years. Yeah, I I don't know. I guess Bill and Ted's one of those where like I'm fond of it, but I probably am not anticipating it as hotly as as some people. Paul, with all the time that's passed since the last Bill and Ted movie, why is it still exciting to you? I think there's just there's something about those two movies that's just in, inherently silly, I think, and that there's something quite charming about them that ha- that hasn't really worn off. Um, that being said, I've not. I say I'm very excited for it, and then I look at some of the times they've rebooted things many, many years later. It doesn't always work, but at least in this case, you've got the original writing team back on board, which does give me some hope. I just love how sort of silly and silly and, and over the top they are really. Um and they're just they're just pure fun, like just just pure harmless, brainless entertainment. But yeah, I like them a lot. Have we got a uh, a rough release or a solid release on No, I, I, not that I've seen. I only picked up the news this morning to be fair and then I've done a day at work, so I haven't really had a chance to research it. I know it got announced I think it got announced officially yesterday. It's been rumoured for quite a number of years now that this is happening. And there's a very awesome picture that I think I put up on the Instagram a while ago of uh, of an older Keanu Reeves and Alex Winter as Bill and Ted in the phone box, which is well worth a which is well worth a look if you if you uh, value joy. So uh, yeah, no, I'm very excited about this. I think I hope it will be good. Um, and not all reboots work, but I've got I've got a good feeling about this one. I think there's enough passion for it to get it off the ground. So yeah, Pete, have you got anything in particular? Or? Yeah, I, I suppose so. Um, one that came uh, to my attention is the fact that Margot Robbie's just signed on to the new Quentin Tarantino film, um, upcoming Quentin Tarantino film, I should say, which is called uh, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. This one is about an actor and that actor's stunt double who try and make it in the industry during the 1969, I believe it is, the uh, Manson family murders. Yeah, in 1969 in LA. Uh, Margot Robbie on this thing joins, like, everyone, I guess. Leonardo DiCaprio, Brad Pitt, uh, Kurt Russell, Burt Reynolds, Tim Roth, Zoe Bell, the stunt woman who was, of course, in Death Proof and has worked yeah. with Tarantino a number of times. Uh, Michael Madsen, of course, a long-time collaborator with, with Tarantino. So, like, I don't know how much Tarantino's actually come up on our show because of the paucity of, of releases in the time that we've been doing it, but... I was, back in the times, uh, a big advocate of Tarantino. And then that sort of enthusiasm, has, I guess, waned uh, sort of film on film. Even between Kill Bill 1 and Kill Bill 2, I think my enthusiasm sort of plummeted quite a lot. And and latterly, I, I almost go the other way and, and sort of talk down Tarantino's later work. But having said all of that, when someone of the status of Quentin Tarantino has something on the horizon... And we, you know, doing a film podcast and being into seeing everything that comes out and being really tuned into to what's going on in cinema at any one time. Like, I've got to be excited about this until I'm, you know, until that enthusiasm is proved to be sort of misplaced, maybe. Paul, how are you feeling about Tarantino at this point? Do you need him in your life at all? Uh, no, not really. <laughs> would be my honest response. Um, I, I still haven't caught up with the hateful eight. I think the man is, is a very talented writer. I think he's quite a self-indulgent director. Um, I'm not sure he's the right man to handle the Manson murders at all. Um, it's my I don't know a great deal about it. It's my understanding there is something that there's possibly still victims that may have lived through this, uh, and they're going to have to put up with Tarantino's overblown approach. 
uh, and not such an approach to actually sort of quite a sensitive issue. So, no, I will but, see it. But, um, but, Paul, coming at me with all this logic, could it be like cool <laughs> and shit? Because if it could be like cool and shit, then Tarantino's right on it and he's probably not going to care about any of that. So, I know, yeah, I'm, sure I, I'm, I'm totally with cool. you, man. Like, I, I, I remember distinctly sitting through. Um, Django Unchained. Is it Django Unchained? Yeah. All right. Yeah. Django Unchained, and, and, and just sort of feeling d- increasingly depressed, and that probably makes it's that a really like good a... bit though. What about that really good bit with Jonah Hill that looks a bit like Blazing Saddles? You remember Is that, that bit when he's the slave holes and the masks and the cutting the eyeballs yeah. in the wrong place? It's, it's terrible. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it, just one of those <laughs> things that got sort of played out. Like everyone told you how good it was, and to the point where where you just you know like like I mean not for this show, but like if I were allowed to talk about the new Childish Gambino video being heralded as genius across the board, then that would be a similar uh, conversation, I suppose. Yeah, I think Tarantino just hears so much how he's such a, a legend and, and the experience of watching his films over the last sort of 10 years or so makes me feel quite tired. So um, yeah, this was my piece of news, guys, but um, we will review it and maybe, maybe it, I'll turn a corner and turn over a new leaf and be really enthusiastic about the guy. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I like, I don't know, there's, there's enough about him that I like and I'm with you. Pete, I think his, his earlier work is certainly the superior work. Um, I just think he needs to be needs to be measured, and uh, I think he it's not necessarily his fault, but he's been made out by the film media to be like the, the second coming of filmmakers, and he really isn't. He's not. He's decent, but he's not that good. But, but so Paul that's Anderson, kind of where I stand. Paul Anderson, putting you on the spot, um, best Tarantino film. Mm. Well, your favourite. I mean, it's all subjective, really, isn't it? My favourite would probably be Pulp Fiction. Uh, Jack. Favorite Tarantino? Uh, it's not directed by him as such, but a Dust Till Dawn. Dust Till Dawn, I like. Yeah, I like the thing that I don't like in Dust Till Dawn. He wrote, wrote that, didn't he? I think he wrote. Yeah, sure. the thing, the yeah. thing like, I don't like in Dust Till Dawn, um, and, and there's probably more examples of this, isn't he? In Pulp Fiction as well, is when fucking Tarantino shows up as an actor. No, none he's of that. He's, he's, he's a good actor, man. He's a actor. He's a better director. He always than has he's cameos. Actor, he's a horrible <laughs> actor, and he's, I hate the lines he writes for himself. But um, yeah, enough of that. Yeah, it, the, the correct answer to that quiz question was Jackie Brown. Right, um, <laughs> moving on. Paul, should we jump out of the foyer and get into the next section of the show? Are you ready to do some popcorn movies? I am. Let's do it. Cool. We'll be right back. So we are back, the other side of that little intermission, to give you our popcorn movies. These are movies that we've seen in the last seven days or so, and we want to share with you in case you miss them or might need to track them down, or in fact, whether you might need to like avoid them like the plague. Paul, what is something that you've seen recently that you want to talk about first? So I want to talk about Vacation from 2015, which I believe I did a coming attraction a while ago, and tore it apart and was like there's no way I'm watching this film this looks dreadful this is going to be the worst thing I've ever seen how dare they fuck around with the original Vacation series which I'm quite a big fan of that starred Chevy Chase yeah and do you know what it's actually quite good like completely agree that I sat there we watched it with the wife I think we'd got we'd actually got in from watching I forget we'd got in from watching something else actually and was like we'll just put this on now I ended up staying awake until one I stayed awake all of it I laughed for most of it actually quite good ed helms is ed helms and christina applegate have got a, a decent chemistry between them um the gags are and it's very very silly as the originals are but i really expected to hate it and actually quite enjoyed it it's just it's just fun you've seen this pete have you or... i have yeah no I, I i completely agree with you i i think it was a sort of pleasant surprise for me it was one of those where like um my fiance and i we have a sort of uh a penchant for going to sort of what are going to be inevitably very middling or disappointing comedies at the cinema, even though <laughs> yeah. we could just wait for them to be on TV or whatever or, or, or on uh, streaming. And we saw this one in the cinema and pleasantly surprised. Yeah, it's good. 
Yeah, it's good. It's enjoyable. Yeah, I thought it was fun. And it's also, weirdly enough, it's directed by, and I think written by, uh, John Francis Daly and Jonathan Goldstein, who went on to make Game Night, Pete, which I didn't realise. Oh, really? So that explains a lot. Yeah, yeah. It does. Yeah, it's strong strong team. So so actually, if you haven't seen Vacation and you have written it off, I would say, yeah, it's a good, incredibly good, like, hungover film, uh, like, good Sunday morning fare. It was actually a lot of fun. And, yeah, Chevy Chase reappears in it, and he's great. Uh, he always makes me laugh. Uh, so, yes, um, I wouldn't, yeah, rec- recommend it. I would recommend it enough. There we go. That's cool. where I stand Vacation. Um- First for me this week is um, I put this up on our social media and I don't know if it, it you know pe- people picked up on that but like my first film has got one of the greatest sort of play on words use of language that I've seen in recent memory. This film is called The Rachel Divide. That's the Rachel Divide. It's about the racial divide, you guys. This is the story. Oh shit! I've been trying to work out. I read that and I was just like, why is that so clever? Yeah, it's it's so absolute genius. Yeah, As I wrote in the post, clever, yeah. like. Whoever it. came up with that title will probably <laughs> high-five their own arms off by this point <laughs> because, uh, yeah, it, it's phenomenal. But this tells the story of Rachel Dolezal that people are probably aware of in 2015 was exposed as being uh, something of a cultural uh, sort of racial appropriator who had got to a position within um, uh, operation that campaigns for the cultural advancement and sort of social advancement of uh, African-American people within America even though, uh, dis- I would say despite, but even though she had not made clear that what she was in fact Caucasian, um, in fact, it's sort of the opposite was the case. She had told people outright that she was indeed black and that in fact a family, I believe family friend or uncle who was a, a black guy was her father when in fact he was not. Um, she also, to complicate matters, uh, I suppose, and the, the sort of nuance of this that didn't come out maybe at the time, was that she had adopted her adopted brother, who is uh, younger than her, younger uh, African-American guy. She also had uh, two other, I believe, African adopted, uh, sort of, what do you call that, step? Is that step when they're adopted? Half, um, half, half siblings, half, half siblings. Yes. Yeah, that her parents had adopted. She comes from this sort of like very religious, uh, very traditional Christian family and had grown up feeling like she didn't fit and had found her identity through these adopted siblings and found her identity somewhere within the black experience and black culture. But obviously the thing that blew up in the media was that she hadn't been open and honest about her own story and her own quote unquote, like struggle, I suppose. Um, the documentary itself is, is uh, The Rachel Divide is directed by a woman called Laura Brownson. And I think she does a pretty good job of giving us like a fairly even handed account of events and showing both sides of this story. Because it would be really easy for this just to be a massive takedown on Rachel Dolezal. And, you know, let's all like laugh and point at her and sort of, uh, you know, um, take joy in, in her demise. I don't think there's much to be gained from that. And I think that the overriding emotion that I had kind of as the film draws to a close, is sadness. Sadness that this woman didn't feel like she could fit in. Sadness that she has brought suffering, not only on herself, she's now, I think, um, near homeless and unemployable uh, because of all the furore around this stuff, but also sadness because she's drawn other people into her own um, difficulties, not least her adopted siblings, not least the the half-brother of hers that she adopted as her own child as well. So, like... Yeah, a lot of sadness, a lot of um, 
a lot of difficult issue issues to wrestle with, but it's just pretty much impossible, I would say, to come out of the Rachel Dolezal story thinking anything other than, yes, she did totally culturally and racially appropriate. She she <laughs> wants to call herself like transracial now. And I mean, I'm not the expert. I, I, I get that. But it feels intuitively like that's not really a thing that you can do. Um, no, which I would probably co-sign on that, as you would say. It's interesting stuff, yeah. Paul. I, I think people should watch it. It's available now, streaming on Netflix. It's a Netflix documentary, in fact. That one's The Rachel Divide from this year. What's second for you, Paul? Uh, this is Steven, Steven, uh, sorry, Steven Spielberg's uh, AI, which I have not seen, or AI have not seen, haha, <laughs> for a number of years now. Um, this, as people may well be aware, so this stars Hayley Joel Osment uh, and Jude Law. Um, basically, Hayley Joel Osment is a, a robot boy who is created with the capacity to love and with the intention of being loved by adoptive parents. Um, it all goes a little bit wrong when his adoptive parent's son gets better, uh, and Hayley Joel Osment goes on, the, well, he's kind of abandoned by his adoptive parents and sent, and, and basically goes on the run with Jude Law. Um, yeah, people may or may not be aware that this was originally a Stanley Kubrick project uh, that he was possibly looking to film himself, but then didn't get to because he sadly passed away before he could finish it. Uh, Spielberg picked up the reins uh, and finished the film. Um, it was weird going back to this many, many years later, because I think when I first saw it, the, the special effects blew me away as being absolutely stunning, and there's still quite a lot of creative effects work in AI. Um, but to me, it's still very, very, very evident where Spielberg stops, and sorry, where Kubrick stops and, and Spielberg courts kind of picks up. The end is very, very smaltzy and very, very OTT. There's a point in this film where you think that would be the way to end it, and the film just rumbles on for about another half an hour. So, yeah, it's um, it's still well put together as you'd expect from a Spielberg sci-fi, but it has some still some some problems which make it nowhere near the best of Spielberg's work. Pete, yeah. you've you've seen it. Yeah, I mean, of course, Paul, it did feel like a bit of a non sequitur when Spielberg just drops in the Buckaroo Banzai reference in the middle of the plot there with like apropos of nothing. That's a bit odd, isn't it? But yeah, no, I know what you mean about that movie, man. Like, it was one of those films that I think um, it's maybe a bit of a cliche to say, but I sort of admired it more than enjoyed it. Um, yeah. And I think you're right about that slight disjointed feeling when it comes to the thing being completed, you know, later in the day. So, yeah, I'd have to revisit it because I can't really have any, a particularly informed opinion because it's been 15 years or something. Like no, that. I mean, it, it's doing it wrong. It stands up well enough. There's, there's, there's a lot of worse sci-fis out there. And I've read, I've read, um, was out there on Letterboxd. I've read quite a lot of hate for this film, which I don't think is necessarily justified because the performances are good. It's still, you know, Spielberg generally technically makes good films whenever whenever he throws something out so it's just yeah it's just the kind of disjointed nature and i think that i think ultimately it would have been i think the film would have been better not necessarily better but certainly more interesting if we'd seen kubrick's approach to this material um but still it, it holds up well enough um if not a classic mm. so yeah um, maybe a classic on, on my side of the divide then this time uh, I caught up with for the first time you know uh, shoot me Connor Gagan but I caught up with uh, <laughs> Whatever Happened to Baby Jane this one directed by Robert Aldrich from 1962 and stars uh, the near incomparable I would say uh, Betty Davis and Joan Crawford in the lead roles now uh, have you seen this Paul? Uh, no I haven't so I'm, okay. I'm, up for a sh- I'm up for a shooting as well. <laughs> I'll keep it brief. So 
for anyone who doesn't know, Whatever Happened to Baby Jane is this sort of psychological um, pot boiler of a movie about a woman uh, played by Betty Davis who is almost throughout the running time of the film tormenting her sister played by Joan Crawford um, who lives in the same house as her and is in a wheelchair she's a paraplegic uh, after an accident that may or may not have been the result of some negligence on her sister's part and this is left in the background for most of the running time um, the film though is uh, bookended by the the sort of um, life rise and fall of the Betty Davis character ignore my phone that's ringing in the background uh, yeah, uh, it, so that story is about, uh, oh my goodness me, there we go, Done. I know what it is dude, it's the same guy who keeps ringing me from like somewhere in Scotland, uh, telling me about some sort of direct marketing campaign that he's involved in, he's won't leave Does he right. not, is it not just the guy that has realised we're recording and just really wants to be on the podcast, maybe we should have got him on, we should be like, right dude, you're on air, welcome to yeah. Strangers in the Cinema, now what the fuck do you want? <laughs> yeah. Or or it's like some someone uh, who who wants to correct my knowledge of 1962's uh, It could be, it's, but it's Connor, it's definitely, it's, 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 it's ex-producer Connor Gagan, that's who it is, he's ringing in the show, uh, but, just just to say why haven't you seen it? <laughs> but, but yeah, basically the, the, the overarching or sort of bookending narrative here is that the Betty Davis character was a child star, this kind of a really pre- prodigious, precocious talent who did song and dance shows on stage when she was sort of eight, seven, eight years old, but then has never been able to recapture the glory of her youth. And is now turning into this kind of tragic, deluded, almost actually probably psychotic figure who's a bit reminiscent of you know um the character in um requiem for a dream who's all like i just wanted to be on television like it's got that feeling about it where she's sort of as an aging mid like later middle-aged woman she's sort of dolling herself up and trying to get her career back on track when everybody can see that that just isn't going to happen. So she spends her time like gaslighting her sister, uh, making her sister's life miserable. But we also get from this movie the idea that maybe the Joan Crawford character isn't entirely without responsibility for their deteriorating relationship as well. We know this is all going to come to a head and get kind of nasty and horrible by the end. And it doesn't disappoint on that front. Uh, Yeah, it's a... it's a, a sort of chilling it story. It'll <laughs> stick with you. Yeah, it'll stay with you, man, because I think it it's a story that we've seen many, many times since. But you'll see its imprint in a load of stuff that's come afterwards. I mean, goodness knows how many films we've watched over the last 20 years that are about, like, a vengeful and jealous roommate or ex or, you know, student or uh, someone, yeah, someone trying to get back to where they were. I mean, it's a pretty common story nowadays. But, yeah, the, the thing is worth checking out. I saw it through Film 4, but I think it's available on Amazon Video, Prime Video at the moment. That one is Whatever Happened to Baby Jane from 1962. Shall we get out of this section before I get any more calls to interrupt it? (laughs) Let's do it. Back with the section that we lovingly call Coming Attractions. This is where we preview some movies. What are you excited about that's coming up, my man? Well, it's, can I rant? 
because I'm not excited about this that film. Is but I... very much unlike something I expect from you. <laughs> what are you going to rant about for just, the first time in, this in section, your life? It seems to be I just slag off trailers. Um, yeah, yeah. Coming, coming attraction, you guys, is this fucking shit that I don't want to see and yeah, shouldn't yeah. exist. It's pretty much what I do. So I'm going to I'm going to continue on that trend. Okay. Um, have you guys seen the the? I'm, 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 I'm half sure this is a joke trailer. To be honest, have you seen the latest trailer for Jurassic World Two? Where the one where it goes into the like town and there's loads of new dinosaurs that people totally wouldn't have made and the whole film looks like that really shit bit at the end of the Lost World where the T Rex runs around the town. Have you guys seen this full the full length trailer for Jurassic World Two? I don't think I haven't. No, I, I've avoided it. I've it's, avoided those trailers well, in general. I've kind of ruined what happens in it now. But I think I'm just you know, gonna throw it out there. I think this looks awful. I've no idea what they were thinking. Like, there's no fucking way people would keep making new fucking dinosaurs. And also, the T-Rex is terrifying enough. They made the mistake of making the Super Dubasaurus in Jurassic Park 3. They've made this fucking new, stupid, retarded dinosaur in Jurassic World. And now they've made yet another new dinosaur. Like, stop making new dinosaurs. The the whole thing is like this... If it's supposed to be a clever comment on that that people want bigger and bigger villains and and monsters in blockbusters, then um, well done. Like, you've, you've, you've achieved that. But I just think this looks awful. There's more of the, the shit bits where Chris Pratt's trained Velociraptors. They're supposed to be terrifying. They're now all buddies. And when there's like Scooby-Doo Velociraptors running around, I'm not, not impressed at all. I, I, don't know, I don't know if you weren't uh, paying attention, Paul, but Ye of Little Faith, J.A. Bayona is the director of this. And we know that he's going to be successful because he's already done the impossible. I'm just going to oh, keep going just, with yeah, that yeah, until the film comes yeah. out. Yeah, man, like I know what you're saying and you're probably entirely right in your thoughts. I mean, I haven't seen this this trailer as yet. However, I I quite enjoyed the last Jurassic Park and I and I feel that there's like a, a, a dangerous area that we get into as people who sort of consume so much cinema where we almost start being like self-loathing because the thing that we love is like should be really, really exciting in sort of many of its forms. And yes, this probably isn't going to be like on my top 10 of the year or anything like that. But like to like shovel a load of popcorn into my mouth and like marvel at CGI wizardry it's probably going to be up there, like in that category that we don't have on our end of year awards, right? So uh, I guess maybe, but then, but then Deadpool two, Ant Man and the Wasp, there'll be there'll be an uh, like Solo, there'll be enough other pop films you can shovel popcorn into your mouth with, and I yeah, I'm no, no. What about Rafe Just Spall's no. face though? Rafe Spall is like a, a dashingly handsome man, and he's in this. I don't know if he was in the first one, but he's there. No, he's um, not in the first one. He appears to be the he appears to be on villain duties, along with Toby Jones, who's also in this, and Jeff Goldblum's back as well. So Jeff Goldblum's back at least, but Jeff Goldblum will be in it for the five seconds he's in the trailer. He'll make some comment about well, he already makes a comment about nature finding a way, and everyone will go, oh, I remember why I should just go home and watch the first Jurassic Park. They should never have made any fucking sequels. Right, who's next? Um, <laughs> Well, I am next, I suppose. Uh, yeah, the film that I'm going to preview is coming out in cinemas this coming Friday, May the 11th. It is called Revenge. It was a, put up a thing on our social media again for this one. Check us out at instagram.com forward slash strings in the cinema. But um, this one is directed by a female named Coralie Fargia, and the film is called uh, Revenge. It looks to me like it's getting a lot of buzz. It's already got a meta score of 78, which is uh, very positive and sort of picking up traction, I think, as the days go by. 
the 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 hook here is never take your mistress on an annual guy's getaway especially one devoted to hunting a violent lesson for three wealthy married men now this film looks to be something like i spit on your grave in 2018 which seems to be in 2018 about the stupidest thing that you could possibly bring to cinemas <laughs> given our current climate and how the fact you know the fact is and fight me if you want i spit on your grave is a terrible movie an absolutely terrible movie but it is it it, it has a position within sort of video nasty uh, law that we've moved so far away from now that this seems like yeah as i say just a terrible idea all i'm hearing in terms of buzz about revenge is that that's going to be flipped on its head and that this thing is going to somehow perform this like houdini like escape act from the uh, criticism that it is just kind of an exploitative horrible violent needless sort of rapey revenge uh, thriller, whatever, horror. Uh, for those reasons, I'm interested. Uh, I hope that I get a chance to see it this weekend. If not, it will be soon after that. I haven't yeah. seen this trailer yet. I'm intrigued now because uh, I did my dissertation. One of the films I did my dissertation on was uh, uh, I Spit on Your Grave. So that could be quite interesting. Yeah, and there is but- a. There's- there's a book called Men, Men, Women, and Chainsaws, which, which tries to attempt like a feminist reading of "I Spit on Your Grave," which is yeah. a, which is worth a read. Actually, it's quite it's very it's a very cool yeah, book I mean, if you haven't read it. I but, mean, yeah. d- don't get me wrong; we've had these conversations uh, outside of the podcast. Like, I have I have you know love for for that period of, of cinema and like a load of stuff like Last House and you know films that that we talk about regularly, but let's not get it twisted they're not they're not great films i mean last house on the left is is a is a mess in many ways but i love it don't get me wrong i love it it it's got so much to say in terms of um interesting conversation and dissection it's just then they're not good films really and near the beginning of last house on the left a guy does a backflip for no reason at all and it's one of the best <laughs> things i've ever seen <laughs> well, it has that it has that fucking keystone cops like yeah, in the middle yeah. of it that just seems like yeah. it's been cut from another film but yeah yes. that's uh you know we digress a little bit jack Tell us something else that we're going to be excited about to uh, to see soon. Okay, like uh, I'm pretty excited about this. Uh, my pick this week is called American Animals, um, which is directed by Bart Layton, which is probably the easiest director's name I've ever had to speak aloud. So the only one you've ever managed to remember as well. So well done, Jack. Well oh, done. Thanks, thanks <laughs> yeah. That's good. That's a big thumbs High up. Five to you. <laughs> yeah, um, yeah. So yeah, this film it, it starts Evan Peters who you probably know from American Horror Story. It's about four guys that set up a heist to steal the most expensive book in America. Um, And basically it's described, this film's described as the most audacious heists in history. I think I saw a trailer of this. I think so. And basically they dress up as old men, go into this library and try and steal this book. Um, Just to add to your Evan Peters shout... Uh, one of my favourite sort of um, older female actresses working at the moment is in this as well, which is uh, Anne Dowd. Anne Dowd is the one who's in like The Leftovers and who's also in Hammer's Tale that's doing great stuff at the moment. And it's just like this amazing character actor, uh, actress who's just finally getting, I think, the acclaim that she deserves. So, yeah, and, and jumping on the thing that I said, Jack, about how Revenge has got this 76 or something on Metacritic at the moment, the film that you've picked, American Animals, currently sitting on 80 so obviously getting love from critics already early doors. So that is something to get excited about. Uh, release date, did you say that already? Uh, June the 1st. Oh, I've got 7th of September. Oh, wow, okay. So I think maybe UK. It, oh, June the 1st is uh, maybe festival. Yeah, probably festivals. Rather Sorry. than general release. Yeah, I think, uh, according to the IMDb, it's 7th of September. 
Right, we will be back in just a moment to get right into two feature reviews. Those are Tully and, first of all, I Feel Pretty. So, uh, continuing a theme of uh, basing, you know, discussion points on meta scores. Let's start our first film review, which is the Amy Schumer, as Paul called it, comedy vehicle, uh, I Feel Pretty, by just uh, giving a little nod to the fact that the Metascore currently sits at 48. The only reason I mention this is a sort of jumping off point to acknowledge the fact that this is divisive. And that's, you know, sometimes the best stuff that we can talk about on this show, I think. Now, going in, people are going to have preconceptions about star, writer, director, uh, collaborator Amy Schumer, um, based on, I suppose, Inside Amy Schumer, uh, predominantly, which is her her TV show and her stand-up work. She's been in trouble in the past for joke stealing. She's been also in trouble for seeming to be like a sort of anti-feminist uh, who who might see herself uh, in other terms I, I suppose and also for just the the charge of not being very funny um I was going into this feeling like I wanted to keep an open mind where were you at with Amy Schumer coming in Paul uh yeah I kind of keep an open mind to be honest I think is it Rex where she was in the Goldie Horn is that the film I'm thinking of or was I it the one right. yeah it was not is that the one where she was kidnapped and that that was fun enough and actually i like I've, I've seen this stuff about joke stealing and this yeah and like she does have a reputation she's always she's mostly made me chuckle more than laugh out loud i would say i wouldn't say she's an incredible stand-up comedian but actually i think she's she's quite an accomplished she's quite accomplished in kind of slapstick and, and is certainly amusing in film so yeah going into this i would say i, I was fairly open-minded as well pete what's the what's the premise of the film set, set it up for us briefly okay and i should i should uh, i slightly misspoke the film is co-directed by abby con and mark silverstein who were also co-writers so i should be clear about the fact that amy schumer is not a credited writer or director of this movie no. um having said that obviously she has a, a big influence the setup of the film is a fairly high concept it's basically a body switch movie without a body switch this movie movie um, pivots on an accident that takes place at a soul cycle class it's a kind of you know really hyped up uh, right on positive thinking uh, spin class at a gym which Amy Schumer's character attends because she wants to sort of get her life on track she has an ideal job in mind which is working in the head office of the fashion label for which she's currently doing IT in a kind of stinky basement with only one colleague uh, buried sort of out of sight and out of mind of everybody in the... A bit like the IT crowd. (laughs) Yeah, 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 yeah. It's exactly like that. Like, away from all the good-looking, sexy people, they put the IT nerds and just let them get on with, you know, uh, SEO or whatever they're doing over there. So... um, she yeah she goes to this class she wants to get sort of her body in shape her mind in shape and get on the track that she thinks she should be on the thing that she feels is holding her back is that she's not good looking enough to roll in those circles during the class she has an accident it's in the trailer it's not a spoiler she hits her head and when she wakes up her self-perception has flipped so now instead of seeing what she instead of perceiving her way herself the way that she did prior to the accident she now perceives her way herself I should say in an entirely different way which is uh, very confident very positive in fact 
fact, she thinks that she is the shit. She thinks she is beautiful, (laughs) irresistible, that she can basically walk through walls. And it's from this point that she manages to start changing her life. Not unlike, for example, when Bradley Cooper becomes limitless. It's a bit like that without the medicines and the sort of brain power, maybe. And the bizarre unnecessary gunfight at the end. (laughs) Right. This is more about, uh, and we'll get into this in a moment, this is more about self-perception and the way that you see not just body image, but self-image. Before we get into our discussion, though, here's a little clip. Oh my god, you see this? Yes. I mean, look at me. Jawline! No, no, I, I always, I always wanted this to happen. I, you, you dream that this will happen, but I never thought it would really happen. I mean, look at me! Look at my boobs! Look at my ass! Beautiful. So you heard there in the clip uh, the moment at which uh, Amy Schumer sort of. Uh, readdresses, uh, reevaluates her own level of attractiveness after this a- accident, and in fact is sort of blown away by how incredible she now believes that she looks. Now, Paul, I'm going to bring you in. Like the film took a load of flack, pretty much it seemed to me, based off its first trailer, and was kind of going to be uh, chased out of town on the premise that what Amy Schumer was doing here was promoting the idea that you have to be beautiful to succeed and that the only way that you could think of yourself, I guess, positively or see yourself positively is to go through a head injury. And I feel that this was wrong-headed from the outset, uh, forgive the sort of half pun, but it does the, before we get into sort of like characters and stuff like that, the idea at the centre of this film, did it offend you? Did you find it intelligent? Like, what do you make of this central idea and the way it plays I, out? I, again, I went into this kind of expecting, yeah, having read all of that and thinking, OK, well, this is going to be like this. I don't think it played out like that at all. I, I genuinely don't. Like, I'm, I'm with you, Pete, when you said it was, a, I think you put on, when you put on social media, you said it was kind of a pleasant surprise and come at you. And I was kind of expecting to come at you and go, no, you're wrong. You're pretty much right. I don't think that is what the film's trying to say at all. The film is trying to say that if you feel positive about what you can do, it doesn't matter what you look like. Like, that is what the film is trying to say. It's pretty obvious that is the message all the way through. It's not you get a knock on the head and have to be beautiful. That is not what she's saying. That's not what the writers are saying in the slightest. It just, it's not. I don't get the hate for that reason. I made this point coming out, Paul, and maybe it sounds a little bit glib and it's not supposed to, but... What is body dysmorphia if not a brain trauma? Because if if you look in the mirror and you can't see your own shine, you can't see your own value, you can't see your own worth, then I think that that is fairly equivalent to having something innately problematic in your own thinking, right? So the film directly addresses that point in the way in which Amy Schumer's character in fact gets this quote-unquote condition. Now, the other criticism that I've seen uh, bandied about as well is that, like, after this, when she becomes confident, she's just sort of like an insufferable, self-obsessed, solipsistic bitch. And again, I think that that misses the point because, yes, if that sense of self becomes too overblown, too inflated, then you are insufferable. The film knows this, I think, right? So you met me of... in my early twenties. You'd have known exactly that. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, we, like I don't know, guys. Like, are, are intelligent people watching movies? I'm not sure. Like, this was a 
a case study to me in groupthink of the stupidest form because I don't think the movie is what people are saying that the movie is. Before I get too wrapped up in, in hammering that nail, let's talk for a second about Michelle Williams. Because who is having so much fun in this? My so word, much fun. Michelle Williams. <laughs> she she gets to sort of reprise her uh, my weekend with Marilyn role, but with a kind of twist of like kind of clipped English nervousness with this character who is uh, what like one of the the daughter of the owner of the fashion label, perhaps. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I think your granddaughter, isn't it? Right. I think. Right. And. And like, yeah, like you said, Paul, like she's having an absolutely delightful time. She's like as funny as I've ever seen her. Obviously, she does a lot of serious dramatic work. But like, what a delight. What a delight. Like, I saw a lot of letterbox write-ups going like, oh, film kind of shit. Michelle Williams good. I don't think that's true. But I do think it's worth highlighting the fact that she is wonderful here. Absolutely wonderful. Yeah. And for the most part, so is Amy Schumer, I thought. I think she's a very, yeah. I think she's actually a very capable um, sort of slapstick comic. And actually, a lot of the stuff. In fairness, actually, it, like being a being a slightly larger man myself, it kind of even echoes my thoughts about why I won't step inside a busy gym. So it's not yeah. just women; it's not just Amy Schumer's character that suffers from this at all. Oh, man, and actually, yeah. some of like some of the exactly exactly my point about why it's not a film about that, like and how it can be relevant to anyone. But yeah, Amy Schumer is actually is a certainly capable slapstick comic. And like some of, for me, the film's best moments are certainly in the first half. I think it loses its way and gets a bit schmaltzy towards the end. But Amy Schumer is consistently pretty good does, at this, to be fair. But when do these kind of movies not do that? And I know that sounds like a yeah, cop-out, yeah. but like, think about how we talked, and they're, they're totally different, but like female-led comedy movies, like how we talked about Girls Trip. Girls Trip is an amazing movie. Yeah, I want, Girls Trip does You know, recommend thing, it to yeah, everyone. Yeah. It's hilarious. And yeah. then at the end, you've got to bring that thing into land, and it's difficult not to just end up with a sort of yeah. fairly preachy, schmaltzy ending. And that's kind of a shame, but... As much as they could handle it decently, I'm not too mad at the ending of this film. I want to say as well, Rory Scovel, who's just another stand-up comic, is the love interest in this to Amy Schumer's character. And I think, again, like, I feel a bit in the minority, not with you, Paul, but with this sort of, like, wider thinking on this movie, that that's a very sweet central romantic story. No? Yeah. Yeah, I, like, I said I like, the, I like the film, and I said I, I like the, the core romance is charming. He's kind of a bit of a quirky outsider character as well, which is quite nice. Uh, he's kind of labels as a shy, you know, he's a fairly shy guy that hasn't, I would say, is, is insinuated he's not had much luck with women. So that's a, it's quite a sweet story there. And like the fact that she like, rebukes the advances of the beautiful fashion guy about midway through is quite a nice touch as well because you kind of think you see where it's going, then it doesn't. So yeah, I, yeah, I think it's you know for what it was, it's a, it's a likable comedy. I, I didn't, I didn't dislike it. I'll be honest. Well, and the, and the last, I guess, talking point off the uh, off the like internet reaction to this is there is uh, this model uh, and actress Emily Ratajkowski, I think Ratajkowski, maybe uh, the, the phenomenally beautiful, very very skinny girl who's in the the movie, who's also in the Soul Cycle class with Amy Schumer. And there's a scene sort of like two thirds of the way through where um, Amy Schumer tells her something like uh, she's crying because a relationship of hers has broken up and Amy Schumer says like how could anyone leave you god I hate you I want to punch you in the face and I've seen again people talking about this like you know this is a sort of hateful piece of writing and the way that the scene plays out is horrible and like she has no empathy or like you know it's uh in some way detached from the way these situations actually play out is that not just the way shit goes down like when someone is 
on the on the grander scale, objectively in today's like society, good looking, other people do say shit like, "Oh, I fucking I want to kill you." Like, uh, you know, it's a joke. It's a joke from a comedy writer and a comedy actress that I think is kind of like flying over people's heads and like. I'm the last person to jump on this thing that we're all doing now of going like, oh, people are being snowflakes because I just think it's reductive and not very (laughs) helpful. But maybe if I invoked it one time, it would be on this thing because I think that the film is a lot smarter than people are giving it credit for. And I think both of us agree that it is worth at least seeing to make up your own mind. Don't write it off because... I 100% agree with you. I did not expect, as as I said earlier, I did not expect to agree with you. I kind of expected, having read what I've read, I kind of expected to come out going, yeah, this film's disgraceful. And it, it's, it's just not, it's just not, like, check it out for yourselves, it's a very enjoyable first half, not so good second half, but still, overall, it's a, it's a, it's a laugh, it's a laugh, it's just fun, like, take it as that, and you will be entertained, for sure. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Uh, right, we will be right back with our second feature review of the week, and that one will be Tully. So we are back, other side of the break. Paul, this one, uh, Tully, as you mentioned earlier on, directed by Jason Reitman, whose last effort was Men, Women and Children, which is terrible, uh, but previously (laughs) has collabed with Diablo Cody and does so again here. They worked together on uh, Juno, which kind of brought Diablo Cody into the the public eye, and then again on Young Adult, which I thought was an excellent film. And then we should tie that to the fact that Young Adult star Charlize Theron is the star of this one as well. Tully, we previewed a couple of weeks ago, tells the story of the Charlize Theron character. I'm going to give... The, I should give character names sometimes. I always just say the name of the actor because it's just <laughs> yeah. a hassle to, to remember the name. Okay, Marlo, to Marlo, played by Charlize Theron, who is a, a mother of th- two children and a coming third child. Uh, one of her children, I believe one of the children, has some... Um, social socializing sort of it's developmental a- difficulties typical is what they state on the film isn't it yeah but i mean what does it mean just not typical i mean no one really wants to give him an actual categorization at his school except to say, say it possibly he's possibly a form of autism isn't he something yeah. from i would say he's, he's, yeah. on, he's on that spectrum without it ever being yeah. sort of nailed down um yeah. And uh, she does things like sort of brushes his skin to desensitise him to the uh, the sensations of the outside world in order to sort of calm him down because he's prone to sort of freaking out. And all of this is piling a bit of stress on this Marlowe character as she faces the prospect of her third child in a household that seems at almost stretched a breaking point to provide for two children, let alone three children in this mix we have her husband played by ron livingston who is fairly absent from the home because he's the one trying to sort of earn the cash to keep them going whilst leaving almost everything in terms of like upkeep of the house in childcare and stuff to the increasingly put upon uh, marlow before we get into our thoughts on the film here is a little clip you know what a night nanny is Okay, you know what? Everybody does it. It's just like a regular nanny, except they come at night. You know, they stay over for a few weeks or a month, and they take care of the baby at night so mom and dad can get some sleep. It's no big deal. I don't want a stranger in my house bonding with my newborn every night. It's like a Lifetime movie where the nanny tries to kill the family and the mom survives and she has to walk with a cane at the end. Right, well, we had a night nanny. I don't remember that. The reason you don't remember it is because she only came at night. 
Greg, please tell me you didn't hire me one of those people. So you heard in the clip there, Mark Duplass, uh, Paul and I, both big fans of... of, of I would say a favourite of the show, Mark Duplass. Uh, absolutely, one of our guys. Yeah. yeah, you heard Mark Duplass, who plays uh, Ron Livingston's brother? No. Charlie Theron's brother. Ron Livingston's brother? Which one? Charlie Theron's brother. Charlie yeah. Theron's brother. Charlie, yeah, right. Charlie, sorry, Theron's brother, yeah. yeah Marlo's uh, brother. Pl- like plays Marlo's brother, um, who offers an olive branch to uh, Charlie Theron's character, saying, we had a night nanny. This night nanny came during the night just to help out with uh, those difficult sort of early morning, late night hours where the baby's crying or needs attention or needs to just be put down or, or whatever for the evening. Um, and whenever you need to feed, then our, the nanny comes and wakes you up and you do your, your duties and then you go back to bed and you hopefully get a bit more sleep, uh, feel a bit more rested and have like an easier time of navigating that territory. Uh, this night nanny idea is initially rebuked, uh, rebuffed by the Marlowe character. And then as time goes on, she starts to realise that maybe it's not such a bad idea. Step in Mackenzie Davis as this uh, nanny who is the titular Tully. Paul, I've set this up at some length. Um, did you like the movie? Where do we want to go next in our discussion? Uh, yes, I very much like the movie. Um, the It's a tour de force, I think, of acting talent. Like Charlize Theron is just just goes from strength to strength. I think as an actress, she is she is superb. I think in almost everything she's in now. Um, as is is Mackenzie is it Mackenzie Davis? Is this who I'm thinking of? Mackenzie I, Davis. Yeah. I keep wanting to say Mackenzie Crook, but that's Gareth from the Office. I so said that, that before on our show. Yeah, I was like, yeah. yeah, I've got to tell you about this actress, Mackenzie Crook. Uh, yeah, yeah. Mackenzie Davis. Like people know her from uh, Blade Runner twenty forty nine. I guess recently she played that prostitute character. She was also in Holt and Catch Fire, which is a really good tv show so, black yeah, mirror I'm, with um that yeah. sandra napero episode of black mirror as well that's right yeah um yeah so she's a she's a very talented uh, young up-and-coming actress and again i think is is very very good here i think the the writing in this is i would say i ha- did, did diablo cody write young adult sorry did yeah. you because so, i've not actually seen that so i think yeah. for me at least this is probably the most mature example of, of writing i've seen from diablo cody and i think the uh the script for the most part in terms of the dialogue is is spot on i think it's i think it's very well directed um, the only thing I will say, and again, to obviously I'm very keen to avoid spoilers because if you go in again knowing not very much about this would be my recommendation. Yeah, you've got to be careful on this one. It, yeah, you've very, you very much got to be careful on this one. I would say, though, that I just I thought it could have been a little bit longer and like it wrapped itself into almost too neat a bow for me at the end. Um, I thought it kind of it it pulled some pretty heavy punches, and I was I was in I was in floods of tears at one point where my sister was just going, "This isn't right representation of what's going on on the screen," like throwing her toys completely out of the pram, and I was like, "But I'm crying! I found it great! I was so emotional." Um, so that was an that was an interesting chat after the cinema. But yeah, I think it, it you know it it certainly wraps things up in too neat a bow. The, the ending feels a bit too like, "Oh, now stop." Now we've done. Now we've done the film. Pete, what did you think? I mean, I, I really yeah, liked it. I, I might agree with you. I, I'm a defender of Diablo Cody's because, again, uh, talking about Amy Schumer and Diablo Cody on the same episode is the sort of thing where, like, you know, we're going to decrease our listener base even further based on the public perception of those two people, I guess. But I, I'm a defender <laughs> of hers, and I think that Young Adult uh, was her best work to date. I think that her work on um, United States of Tara is really good as well. Um, I, I like the movie, but I think I'm kind of with you, Paul, that maybe the high wire act that it that it attempts is quite 
maybe more very difficult to pull off in a in a satisfactory way without either showing your hand too early or wrapping up too many threads too quickly. And I think maybe, mm. as you were saying, the, the criticism might be more the, the latter of those two things. I think that what it does do well, Paul, is um, it's fairly unflinching in the way that it deals with motherhood. Because this is a movie that isn't, you know, afraid to show uh, a nipple pump um, in action. It's mm. not afraid to show um, how just, just like how tough, how absolutely draining it is for a mother to maintain her responsibilities whilst devoting near to no time to her own self-care because there just isn't time in the day available. Unless we forget this character has two other kids to look after and we've got this fairly modern and I think very well-drawn image of this sort of um, arrested development of the the father, the Ron Livingston character, who... Yeah, I think he... I struggled a bit with him as well, to be honest, with, with what they did. As much as I'd liked most of the script, as I said earlier, I just think his character was almost too absent, like to the point where it was almost like you say Arrested Development, like he literally could have been a character from the TV show Arrested Development with just the, just how lazy and not there this guy is. And I'm just like, no, he would have noticed something. Like, and he sits upstairs on his Xbox with his headset on like all the time. Yeah, but, 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 I, like I that, but was... that's my, my first point though, Paul. Like, I know it's a really small thing. We take it for granted because you, I and Jack, I'm sure, play like headset video games. But yeah. you don't see in popular culture that much uh, like adult age people of a generation that do do that now like yeah. gaming at the um it, or instead of fulfilling duties in the home which is like yeah. such a small thing but i think it takes a fairly smart writer to actually push the agenda of having that in the film but i think you're right as well that like is it not though a result of necessarily backwards engineering a plot like this where in order to and i'm not being spoilery but in order to no. avoid pitfalls and and like i said before showing your hand you have to write and put things on screen in a certain way that doesn't really hold up to scrutiny. I think that's a fair point, yeah. And I think that, yeah, I think you're exactly right. And once once you see the film, you will that that point will will 100% resonate because yes, in order for this film not to be spoiled, uh, yes, certain 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 characters have to do certain things where you go, well, there's no way they've done that in real life, but then. If they'd done, if they behaved the way they would in real life, then the twist wouldn't be what the twist is. It would be you'd have seen it if coming a mile off. So if yeah. there's a twist, then if there's a twist, twist. <laughs> I think it's pretty evident there's a twist to be honest. But, um, yeah. There's no twist. So yeah, uh, yeah so um, we we've had our, our tuppence worth. Jack, you've seen this as well, right? Yeah. Well, I'm I'm still sort of thinking about this film, only having seen it what three or four hours ago. Um, it. For one, I think it was it was quite it showed sort of a dark side of uh, motherhood almost, which obviously I know nothing about because I'm not a mother. Um, but I think they portrayed that very well and very sort of modern take on it. I think. Yeah. Well, I mean, do you think it's it's fair? Because you know, I'm going to shock you here, Jack, but I'm not a mother either. Um, but <laughs> I am. <laughs> we'll, mother. we'll speak for ourselves. Mother yeah. over there. But. But what we see generally, you know, when you watch um, depictions of motherhood on on sort of the big and small screen is you get that, maybe you get the sort of five second 
giving birth scene. Yeah. You get the holding newborn baby and making that connection scene. It's usually scene. quite a, a pretty sort of sense, it, isn't it? It they is, make man. motherhood look very pretty. And, and then and... even in, in the way that's portrayed in terms of like getting up in the middle of the night to feed and stuff like that, it'll be like a kind of, you know, like a tiny little cut montage. There's nothing that dwells on the reality of motherhood. I say nothing. In, in sort of mainstream uh, consumption, there's not much that dwells on sort of those realities. So I thought that was quite refreshing, really. Yeah, but, and uh, there was there was one scene that I I really enjoyed and really sort of got my heart racing a little bit in sort of emotions. Um, did you weep openly? Is that what I, I wouldn't say I weep. I did. The scene anything. where he the little boy the one that we said was sort of he's described as quirky. Oh, is it is it about the brush? No, no it's Carol. about no. So you said about the brush. It's about when he goes into the toilet and he hears a flush. And he starts screaming. Yeah. And this guy comes out and he does a sort of like oh, yeah, tree motion. Yeah. Let's stand like trees. And I think my favourite bit was when he did the leaves and he went... Yeah. Like that. I thought that was great. Yeah, well, you've got that. Like, It's a really small moment. I'm glad you brought it up, though. It's like this this one adult outside of the family unit, like this one adult who can see through uh, the sort of labelling of a child as a sort of nuisance difficulty or whatever and just connects with that kid on a level. I mean, you teach youngish children and so yeah, you, you know that's that's in your wheelhouse anyway and like I've done tutoring with autistic kids in the past and like it's nice to see again like maybe I'm over praising Diablo Cody I don't know but like it's nice to see that stuff included in a movie like this the the bit that got me and Paul I don't know if this is where the floodgates opened or not but like uh with the brushing this is not an important plot point in any way but like this thing I mentioned about brushing the child to desensitize him to the world which uh Marlowe the, the Charlize Theron uh admits herself maybe complete bullshit but like she used to have someone do it for her then she just watched youtube videos again mm. a kind of good uh, i i think apt like modern reference but uh the kid says to her maybe we don't need the brush and i think that almost broke me that almost broke me that part because it was like that that brush is representative of a lot of things in my mind, not just brushing of a of a small boy. Um, <laughs> it, what whilst we're here, Paul, is there is there any moment you want to highlight in terms of like because if you had the biggest emotional reaction, was there a particular well, moment? The, the, it, yeah, it's the reveal, and I was just like, oh right, no, right, right. No, 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 and honestly, though, there were tears. There were there were a lot of tears. Uh, not quite as many tears as there were in Dark Knight Rises, but there were certainly a lot of tears. Um, and also, I was quite I was quite affected by the brushing of the the, the child's arm because sometimes, uh, it, like when Jack comes back from Benidorm, you do have to like brush his arm just to make sure he's okay. Um, so, yeah. Absolutely. So, so I can relate to that as well, having had to look after Jack more than once. So yeah, yeah. Um, so I think on both of those, I feel pretty and Tully. We're decently strong recommendations in terms of this week's features. Am I right? Yeah, I mean, I'd, I'd liked Tully, I would say, quite a bit more than I liked I Feel Pretty because, you know, my thoughts on Schmaltzy endings. Um, not that, yeah, I like Tully more, I think. But, I, I'm, but I'm both glad things. that I picked Tully over I Am Pretty, really. I feel pretty, but we've talked about this, Jack. Yeah, yeah. You, you've made a philosophical point there, but you didn't even realise it. Um, <laughs> so, uh, with that having all been said, we should get to the final part of the show, right? Which we call end credits or credits, depending on what mood we're in. Uh, this is where we pay credit to something from the world of film that is right, good, or not even from the world of film that you just think is worth attention. Paul, pay credit to something. Your room, by the way, is getting increasingly dark and it's starting to look myself, very sinister. Yeah. 
Well, I can't. I'm, I'm, the light switch is not within reach. Uh, I am still here. Uh, I'm aware I can just see myself on my video. I can't see myself in the little video of the chorus screen. So sorry, guys. It's getting I am still like all grainy. You're getting horrified like again. I am fully closed. I can assure you of that. <laughs> um, what I would like to pay credit to is the Deadpool 2 Celine Dion music video, which is just uh, which has been released in the past week. Which, if you haven't seen it, is pretty funny. Uh, the, the, rap, the fact they picked Celine Dion to do the song for Deadpool 2, I think, is is great humour. Uh, and it basically just involves um, Ryan Reynolds and Deadpool sort of doing this weird erotic semi i'd say interpretive ballet dancing around celine dion warbling away so it's actually yeah it's a lot of fun if you haven't seen it check it out uh, what have you guys got jack any credits for this week the only credit is the fact that i'm here and i survived the weekend <laughs> you survived going to uh benedorm benedorm that's right benedorm, yeah. benedorm dressed as a banana yeah dressed as a banana yeah, yeah 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 that was a thing so, um, well done. Right. On, <laughs> Good. On, on making it back. I mean, no, really. Cause... Oh, and also, I didn't uh, didn't flood my bathroom this week. So oh, yeah. Luckily, I'm here. No burst pipes this week, which is a, a lovely change from last week's antics. Uh, Pete, what are you going to pay credit to? Not so, Jack for getting back from Benidorm. <laughs> can, can I shock you guys that I want to uh, pay credit to uh, uh, an actress? Uh, this actress is, uh, goes by the name of Rosario Dawson. Rosario Dawson, you guys, is 39 years young today. Happy birthday, Rosario Dawson. And I put up a post earlier on via our Instagram where I just went through a very quick roundup of reasons why... Uh, or, or films that give you reason to uh, follow and care about the incredibly talented and beautiful Rosario Dawson. And I'll run down just a few. Uh, top five, if you haven't seen it, amazing, underseen, Chris Rock, hip-hop, uh, Rosario Dawson with the best hair that she's ever had, and this like really naturalistic performance, amazing. Uh, things like Trance, the, the uh, Danny Boyle movie I'm sure many people have seen. A Guide to Recognising Your Saints. Have you seen this, Paul? No, I keep meaning to watch this. This is directed by Dito Montiel, who uh, has just yes. had a, a just got a new movie out, and the title escapes me, and it's been absolutely panned. Um, but this is really good, um, and it's got in it kind of weirdly Robert Downey Jr. in the kind of pre-resurgence, more like problems with addiction phase, because this is like two thousand and six i think yeah 2006 it's also got uh, a pretty young uh, sleepy labeef shia labeouf and it's also got obviously a 12 years younger a version of beautiful channing tatum so like giant stars in this indie movie that also stars rosario dawson and is all about sort of um uh, strained relationships and returning home and coming to terms with the past and that kind of stuff and I, I don't feel like a lot of people have seen it so maybe I'll, I'll stop on that one and just say yeah check out everything that Rosario Dawson's ever done but um, make sure you get to that one I would say. Uh, can I just throw something else in actually that I read just before when I was prepping for the show can I just throw a, a, a big get well soon to Terry Gillingham I don't know if you're aware he had a stroke over the past couple of days right, and yeah, I think I he's in hospital at the moment so uh, yeah I, I hope he gets to see the man who killed Don Quixote at Cannes because otherwise that would be de devastating so I hope he gets better uh, a big a get well soon to Terry Gillingham yeah um, absolutely man and, and like yeah. whilst, whilst we're there like get well for what it's worth get well soon to Alex Ferguson and also uh, Scott Hutchison from and rabbits missing and, and anyone else anyone else that happens to be very right. stressed 
So yeah, yeah uh, we send everyone our good wishes. Basically, is what we get. Absolutely, all those things are important, and um, also somewhat important but trivial. You know, in comparison, we have a load of social media outlets. Get on them, please. Uh, we have uh, Instagram, we have Facebook, we have Twitter. Uh, the only one that's different to the title of the podcast is Twitter, which is at Strangers Cinema. Um, apart from that, you can get us on Gmail as well, strangersinacinema at gmail dot com. Um, yeah, good times, changes ahead, excited for more episodes. I can't believe we've got to 89 and onward and upward from here, really. Anything else to close us out, Paul? Uh, no, that's it for me. So, yeah, thank you for listening as ever. Catch you next week for some more exciting and involved film talk. See you next time. <laughs> Whatever comes up comes out. We don't put our hands over our mouth. And whatever comes up comes out. We don't put our hands over our mouth. Whatever comes up comes out. Beast, Mr. Baseman, let's let's let on.